I'm Lonnie Edwards, the founder of The Dog Agency and Pet Insider, and you're listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. This is a show about the latest and greatest across the pet world. Whether you're a pet parent or just a little pet crazy, Pet Insider has you covered. We get it. We're obsessed too. The first is, um, I think this major trend that we're seeing around the humanization of pets. When I grew up, um, my dog lived outside. Um, now my dog has, well, it owns my bed. Um, and so so that's, a, that's a big shift. So the humanization of pets has suddenly shifted things. Uh, the second is, uh, as of last year, uh, millennials accounted for 35% of the, uh, the pet parent uh, population in this country. Uh, and so what we're seeing there is, again, at the macro level, people are having kids later, uh, pets act as a substitute, um, and as such, there's a lot more discretionary spending. That was a clip from the Pet Money, Big Money, the Pet Industry Boom panel from PetCon NYC 2018, which took place at the Javits Center on November 18th. For those who don't know, PetCon is a pet lover's dream filled with celebrity pet meet and greets, insightful panels, branded activations, and so much more. Visit PetCon.co, that's P-E-T-C-O-N.co, to learn more and to sign up for our newsletter to find out when the next PetCon will take place. The Pet Money, Big Money panel features Dan Miller, Executive Vice President of Gabelli Funds and Lead Portfolio Manager of the Gabelli Pet Parents ETMF, Zubin Bate, Co-Founder and CEO of Fuzzy Pet Health, Lonnie Edwards, myself, founder and CEO of the Dog Agency and PetCon, and Sigrid Nielsen of Brussels Sprout. Now let's get back to the panel. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. So this is our last panel of an amazing PetCon. It's called Pet Money, Big Money, the Pet Industry Boom. I'm, within the last year, the US pet industry has become a $70 billion industry which is amazing. So we're gonna talk to a variety of folks up here today who come from different aspects of this industry and learn their thoughts. First, we're gonna start with Zubin, who is the co-founder and CEO of Fuzzy Pet Health, a subscription pet health company offering both in-home and telemedicine vet care. Thanks, Zubin, for being here. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about what prompted you to start Fuzzy and what void did you see in the market? Yeah, so my background isn't in the veterinary industry at all. Uh, my background has been in technology, but I have a, uh, a little dog called Mo, uh, and one day I ended up having to rush her into an emergency vet clinic. And uh, I had a really bad experience getting veterinary care for her, and that prompted me to start thinking about the industry as a whole, and then the problem that, that I'd encountered. And the, uh, my, the problem that I saw in the industry as a whole was that uh, veterinary care, uh, the user experience of getting veterinary care hasn't changed in more than half a century, and it's, uh, it's not the best user experience that you have out there. Uh, and at the same time, because of the inefficiencies that exist in the veterinary industry, uh, what we have is that the, uh, the cost of care continues to increase, and that means that the access to care continues to go down. Uh, and what really struck me was that there, there are 200 million dogs and cats in this country, more than 100 million receive absolutely no veterinary care whatsoever each year. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to afford a $2,500 bill, but it really hit me that many people out there are not, not in that position. Uh, and so we, just, we focused on um, creating a company with the primary mission of making veterinary care more accessible. That, that was the catalyst, and, and since then we learned a lot um, and have harnessed that in how we built the company. That's amazing. And right now you're just uh, servicing San Francisco and New York, right? Are there plans to expand? Yeah, so our in-home care service is available in San Francisco Bay Area and New York. Our telemedicine service is actually something that's completely free of charge uh, and available nationwide. Uh, And the thing that really prompted us to do that was 
uh, I noticed that the, the 35 million searches that relate to pet health or pet wellness in this country each month, today's experience is you go into Google and you ask, uh, you ask any question as relates to your pet's health. And the range of responses for any question is your pet's going to be totally fine, so it's going to spontaneously implode in the next five minutes. Um, or, or your pet has cancer. And that, that's a pretty poor experience. Uh, and so what you find is a lot of pet parents end up rushing their pet into a, an emergency clinic purely because they, uh, they're ill-informed. And so we decided to, to launch that telemedicine service and in line with our mission of making veterinary care more accessible, it's entirely free of charge. So anyone in this country could download our app, chat live with a veterinarian within minutes, uh, and then be in a position to make more informed decisions as it relates to their pet's health and wellness. That's amazing. That's so helpful. I've definitely gone down the, the Google trap of getting ter terrifying yourself. Uh, so I want to move on to Dan for a minute. So earlier this year, Gabelli Funds launched the Pet Parents Fund, which is the first actively managed ETF in the pet industry. And Dan is the portfolio manager for Pet Parents. So Dan, can you break down for us non-financial wizards, what is this fund? <laughs> sure. So uh, I work for a firm called Gabelli Funds. Uh, we manage about $40 billion, uh, mostly in the United States, mostly in public companies. And so we launched this fund, uh, which was an actively managed ETF, which we're turning into an open-end mutual fund in a few weeks. Uh, to increase availability given demand and interest in this whole pet ecosystem. And what we're doing is identifying companies globally that we think are going to benefit from increased awareness and interest in cats, dogs, birds, and other pets. Uh, the fact that you have so many people at the Javits Center on a Sunday for a pet con is, I think, just a great example of why... Uh, there is a need for a focused uh, portfolio on, on the pet industry. And so we're buying companies that are involved in making healthy and organic and natural foods uh, as we treat our, our pets like real children. Uh, and we're investing in companies that make medicines uh, that will help you uh, have a healthier pet that lives longer. We're investing in pet insurance companies. We're investing in diagnostics and vet care and retailers and it's just a really uh, interesting and, and dynamic time for this industry. That's really interesting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you later on about how you guys pick what companies to invest in, but I wanna quickly move to our third panelist, who's Lonnie Edwards, who launched TDA, the dog agency in 2015. She's also the mastermind behind this amazing event, so can we just pause for a second and give Lonnie a huge round of applause? Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Lonnie, the dog agency is the first management agency exclusively focused on animal influencers. Um, what is it about pet accounts that make them such successful influencers, and what led you to starting TDA? Yeah, so I started in TDA at the end of 2015, as you just said. I saw that there was a void in the market for an agency focused on pet influencers. There were agencies popping up left and right for human talent but the demand for pet talent was just starting to pick up because pets, just like human influencers, come with all the eyeballs that human influencers come with, but they come with all this extra stuff that is unique to pets. So pets are universally loved and accepted. Doesn't matter if you're a male, female, age, location. Everyone loves pets. They make you happy. Brands want to have that positive association with their brand. So working with pet influencers made a lot of sense. And then beyond that, they're safe, they are always adorable, they never say the wrong thing, they don't get drunk at parties, they're just very safe influencers and brand representatives. 
and they just create, a, they tend to create more creative content when they're doing a human-facing thing. So for example, Dyson, who's one of our great brands here, we worked with them pretty early on. We did this adorable video of a bunch of our pets throwing a party when their parents left, and then they used their paws to push the vacuum to clean it up. And that video went viral and did incredibly well because the pets were pushing and cleaning, pushing the vacuum and cleaning up, doing a traditional human thing, and it just, it just tends to be more creative and unique. So. When I started the agency, it was mainly pet brands that were looking to work with these pet influencers. And we started pitching this concept to human-facing brands, and it's quickly grown. And now the majority of the brands we actually work with are human-facing as a result. So uh, we wanted to kind of make this space more cohesive, make it easier for brands to work with these amazing pet influencers. More often than not, the, the humans behind these amazing pets have full-time jobs. They're not checking their dog's email regularly. Uh, and so we decided it would make a lot of sense to have a great resource to pull this all together, make it more seamless, and make it so pet influencers could work with more brands and make it just very easy for everyone. They have definitely made it very easy for everyone. Um, is there real money at stake for successful pet influencers? Can you talk about a little bit about the economics yeah, of that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of money at stake. Um, so depending on the, the rate for the influencers depends on a lot of factors. So the biggest is their following. From there, the engagement level, the type of content being created, whether it's a photo or a video. Videos command a higher price point. If it's in-feed or if it's a story post, in-feeds are more expensive. So lots of variables. But on average, influencers that have followings in the millions are in the 15K, 10 to 15K range per post. And influencers that are in the 100K range are around $2,000. So there is a lot of money to be made, but there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. I think a lot of people think you just take a quick photo of your dog, you post it, and, and that's it. But for every photo you see on Instagram and Facebook, there are probably a hundreds of photos and bloopers behind the scenes before that perfect shot or video is made. So it, is a, it does take a lot of work to do and a lot of commitment, but once you are able to do it, it's an amazing side gig or a full-time gig depending on your following. That's great. So as I mentioned at the beginning, the pet industry in the US is now a $70 billion industry. I'm, I'd love to hear from each of you what you think really led to the industry taking off. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to jump in over here. I think that there are, uh, there are a few things that have contributed to the, the growth in the pet industry. And if I, um, if I were to, uh, to break it down, I think that there are three main things. The first is, um, I think this major trend that we're seeing around the humanization of pets. When I grew up, um, my dog lived outside. Mm -hmm. um, now my dog has, well, it owns my bed. Um, <laughs> and so so that's, a, that's a big shift. So the humanization of pets has suddenly shifted things. Uh, the second is, uh, as of last year, uh, millennials accounted for 35% of the, uh, the pet parent uh, population in this country. Uh, and so what we're seeing there is, again, at the macro level, people are having kids later, uh, pets act as a substitute, um, and as such, there's a lot more discretionary spending um, from millennials. Uh, and then finally, I think the thing that um, has really driven a lot of that growth is that we're in the internet age, and these are effectively the remote controls for our lives. And so the, the acquisition of goods or services or information has become incredibly simple and easy, and everything is one tap away. And so when you think about all of those factors, that effectively has led to the, this significant growth that we're seeing in the pet industry as a whole. Um, we're also seeing, um, in addition to all of those factors, significantly more investment going into the space. And so uh, up until 2016, we had the largest uh, amount of venture capital funding going into the industry of around $300 million in 2016. 
Prior to that, in 2012, it was around $200 million. This year alone, we're uh, beyond $800 million invested into the space through venture capital. And so what that means is that there are a number more companies that are being, um, that are being started up, that are getting investment, that effectively are being able to, um, to market through influencer campaigns. Uh, and, and, and that means that the, the services are being promoted a lot more, and that means that it drives a lot more um, purchase and acquisition. That's interesting. And Dan, do you agree with that? And are you focused on investing more in um, established companies, or are you guys looking at startups as well? I mean, in the fund, we only invest in established public companies, but we also invest in some uh, private techier startups uh, when we find the right opportunity. I would, I would agree with everything that uh, was said about the industry and, and some of the reasons for its growth. And I'd, I'd say that it's double globally. It's $140 plus billion dollars. Uh, which means, of course, that the other countries are still, still have to catch up to what we're doing in the U.S. Technology is leading to new services and offerings, but it's also making people more isolated. Uh, you spend more time today on your uh, Facebook feed, and therefore having a pet creates this great emotional connection that I think people are kind of lacking in their lives, along with, the, obviously, people are having uh, dogs longer than you know having uh, kids. And so... I would also add 70 billion probably underestimates uh, the true spend. For example, my sister has, has a dog, uh, no kids, married for six years, just has a, a dog and, and makes her own dog food. So she goes and buys 10 pounds of salmon at Whole Foods <laughs> and cooks that with kale, spinach, and zucchini every week, three meals a day. And uh, so those uh, expenses probably aren't in that, that figure. I think there's a lot of people who are doing that today. Um, I wish I had the time, but it sounds, sounds good. So how, Dan, are you choosing what companies to invest in? What so, are you looking for? So as I said, we invest in public companies. So we do a great deal of analysis on what we think a business might be worth uh, based on a number of factors, uh, growth rates, how fast they're approaching new areas of the market, uh, is the balance sheet in good condition, is the management team doing the right things to surface values for investors? So we try and find stocks that we, are, that, that we think are trading at very big discounts to what we would call its private market value. Uh, the biggest investment today in our pet fund is a company called Pet IQ, which started out selling uh, basic products in uh, retailers, uh, Flea and Tick and, and others, and they made a large uh, acquisition this year of a company called VIP uh, Pet Care they got them into an adjacent space where they're opening up these clinics now in retailers like Walmart. They've opened up a dozen uh, this year and have plans to do a thousand over the next four to five years um, that will allow them to kind of leverage their, their important relationships with the retailers and provide their, their, their products, but also now a service, making it easier to get you know, vet care uh, when you're going shopping at the Walmart. You can leave you know, your... You probably wouldn't want to leave your dog, but uh, up front, you know, for, for a checkup or some vaccinations. Yeah, and uh, so that's a good example of an acquisition. Are you seeing more um, acquisitions in this space? And are you seeing, it seems like I've can, have seen a few examples of um, consumer products companies that are now investing or acquiring in pet companies as well. Is that something you're seeing? Yeah, we've seen a whole bunch of, of deals over the last couple of years. Uh, last year, I guess, was the largest, which was an $8 billion purchase of, of Blue Buffalo. Uh, and, and that's natural because uh, as we're changing our uh, preferences and habits on how we eat, 
and, and eating things that are more natural and organic, uh, it makes sense that these companies have to ship what they're doing. Uh, and so they're getting into things like this fast growing pet category. And uh, thinking about how companies are shifting, I'm, it seems like so many companies these days are shifting to a more tech focus as well. Do you see changes within the pet industry as leaning towards more of a tech-heavy industry? And Zubin, I know you uh, mentioned a little bit about the telemedicine aspect of your business that was just launched. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and how, in general, technology is um, affecting your business or enhancing it. Sure. Um, I think I have a slightly biased opinion here, uh, given the company that, that, we, uh, that we have uh, and, and where we're based uh, in Silicon Valley. But I, uh, I believe, as I mentioned, that being in the internet age and the fact that we feel that these are the remote controls for life nowadays, that um, technology is, is central to, um, to, to a lot of uh, pet products and pet services today. Um, <clears throat> certainly in the influencer world, um, technology is integral to, uh, to, to everything there. Um, but actually, maybe less so in the, uh, in the pet food world, which is what, uh, where we've seen a lot of acquisitions recently. Um, in our world, as, as I mentioned before, uh, my background is in tech. And so what we see as a company is we don't believe of ourselves uh, as a veterinary company. We believe uh, that Fuzzy is more of a technology company with veterinary as one of the services that we, uh, that we offer. Uh, we believe that technology is uh, an integral kind of mechanism to be able to interact and engage with pet parents out there, and I believe that that is what's going to drive a lot more, um, a lot more value creation in the ecosystem as a whole. And so I, I believe that the uh, the most valuable companies that we see in the pet industry today are those that are actually incorporating technology into not only their practices but also how they um, aim to engage with the pet population and pet parent population out there. Yeah, it's definitely people are engaging more through technology. And, and Lonnie, that's, of course, integral to what you do. Instagram, there would be no pet influencers. Yeah, so it's, it's, and as you mentioned a little bit before, it's not just pet companies who are reaching out to TDA. There's a lot of human brands, and perhaps now predominantly human brands are reaching out. Why do you think that is, and, and what sort of human brands um, could benefit from having animals as their influencers? Yeah, we're seeing a lot more human brands working with our clients, which is great because that was my big goal when I started the agency in 2015, was really pitching this concept of pet influencers to human-facing brands. I got a lot of funny looks when I would go into these initial pitch meetings saying, you should use this adorable dog to sell your makeup, and they looked at me like I was crazy. But there's definitely angles that make a lot of sense. So, for example, we work with a ton of cruelty-free beauty companies, and when you put that product next to an adorable pet like Sprout, and you say, this brand doesn't test on animals, it's like, oh my gosh, like I would never want to hurt Sprout or any animal like him, and it makes you really understand the core values of that brand. Travel is another industry where we work with a lot of companies, so we do a lot with the Ritz-Carlton, they're super pet-friendly, so we've done all kinds of doggy weekends where they fly out a bunch of pet influencers uh, to create content and showcase how the hotels are very pet friendly. And I think that's a category that's going to be growing a lot because people, uh, as we've discussed, are treating their pets like their children and they want to take them with them when they go on vacation. They don't want to put them in boarding and leave them at home. And so they're looking to these pet influencers to see how best they can travel with their pets. So which hotel chains are the best uh, which are the most pet friendly, what airlines are the best. And so I think the travel space is going to be working with a lot more pet influencers. 
Um, but most brands are a good fit because when the brands work with these pet influencers, they're showing that they resonate with their consumers on that core level because their consumers think of their pets as their children. And when brands partner, they show that they share that value. And then the content tends to be more creative. When it's a pet doing a human thing, it's more likely to go viral because it's so different and unique and obviously adorable because there's an adorable pet creating the content. So there's just so many extra bonus factors that come with pet influencer marketing as opposed to traditional human influencer marketing and more brands are seeing the value there. And a question that I'm sure many of our audience members are interested in knowing, what makes a pet a successful influencer? <laughs> so number one is having a strong brand. So what is it about your pet? Does your pet love to travel? Does it like food? So Popeye the foodie, for example, Popeye's content is always tied around restaurants and showing delicious dishes. People know what they're getting when they come to that page. Uh, another one of our clients, Wolfgang2242, tons of rescue pets. People know they're learning about senior rescue and adoption and hearing all these amazing stories of these pets that had a really bad outlook before Steve came and rescued them. So figuring out what your brand is, staying true to it, staying consistent so people know what they're getting when they come to your page. Having some form of consistency, so that's uh, whether you're, you post once a day, you post once a week, whatever it is, just staying true to that. So don't post like 10 times one day and not post again for a month. So people know when to expect new content from you. And then creating good quality content. So creating something that people want more of, that they're likely to tag their friends in the comments to help you spread. Uh, getting featured by large accounts like um, Dogs of Instagram and Cats of Instagram is a great way to kind of get on the map and have people discover you. Uh, and then from there, have fun with it. Make sure your pet enjoys it. Um, if your pet doesn't like getting dressed up, don't stuff them into clothes and make them unhappy. It's going to come through in the content. It's not a good experience for anyone. So at the end of the day, make sure you're having fun, and then it's a good experience for both of you. And around how many uh, thousand followers can people start partnering with brands, and sort of how does that grow? Is there... Um, is it helpful for people to start with just sort of product exchange in the beginning to sort of help build their following? Or, or what can you talk about a little bit how the engagement levels um, influence what sort of brands you can work with? Yeah, so the better the engagement, the, the more brands that are going to want to work with you. Um, so it's a, it's a combination of following plus engagement. If you have a really large following but you have no engagement, there's not going to be much interest there. Uh, so you want a good mix of the two. So you want a, a good base plus good engagement. For us at the, the dog agency, we look at pets that have 50,000 followers or higher. Uh, that's really where we see the brand interest really starting to pick up. Um, and then from there, the, the larger you can get and the, the more engaged you can keep that following, the better. And just to quickly say for anyone, so in, when we talk about engagement, we talk about how many people are liking and commenting yeah. your photos and, and sharing it with people. Um, so if you're looking to build your account, try to find ways that you can have people engage in your account. So asking a question, you know, we're doing this this weekend. What are you and your pet getting into? And try to sort of have people interact with you. Being a part of the community. So engaging and posting and commenting on other people's content as well so that they see you, they come check your page out and building that community. And Zubin, technology is very important to your business. How has social media uh, impacted your business? And are you guys thinking about working with influencers as well? Yeah, it's, um, it's something that we think about on, on a daily basis. Is, uh, one of, it's, it's all well and good building a business that you see being, being valuable and having a value proposition that resonates with people. But unless you're able to actually communicate that message to, uh, to an audience, that, uh, that that value proposition applies to, um, then it's not a case of build it and they will come. 
so we, we suddenly think about where the, uh, where the core audience and where the core demographic uh, lives, where their eyeballs are, how do we uh, ensure that our, our message gets communicated to them in the most effective way, in the most effective medium that is something that, in that they engage with on a regular basis. So we, uh, we think about influencer marketing uh, because it's, uh, it's where a lot of the kind of pet population uh, looks to for recommendations on services or products that, uh, that enhance the quality of life for pets. And that's something that we've thought about a lot. We have a campaign kicking off with you guys. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. <laughs> we're already seeing some value from it, so it's been, it's been fantastic. And Dan, um, do you think about social media and the sort of companies you're investing in? And also, I know um, we've mentioned this is an actively managed fund. Does that mean that Gabelli is sort of... Um, what does that mean? Does it mean you're interacting with the board and directors and sort of in influencing sort of how they're doing business or making recommendations? Yeah, I mean, maybe in some cases we might have a small influence, but actively engaging and trying to understand how these companies are going to build their business over time as opposed to a passively managed uh, ETF, like one that was launched recently from a company called ProShares, not to give them an advertisement, but uh, they have a pet ETF now that is just uh, tracking the largest pet companies without any uh, consideration towards whether or not they're overvalued or undervalued or growing or shrinking. Uh, in fact, because the pet space is so hot, if you will, uh, there are some public companies, some stocks, that we think are, are really overvalued, meaning expensive, and therefore we don't own them uh, for the investors in our fund. Yeah, the, the same applies in the private market too. Uh, of course. The, the, the space is really frothy right now, uh, and what, uh, what that means is that with the, uh, with the consumer sentiment, uh, that also means that there are a lot of companies that are over-investing in the space um, because they're trying to capture the, uh, the mind share of the, uh, the pet population. It's interesting. And looking to factors other than sort of just the economics when you're thinking about investing. So I think for consumers, um, doing business with companies that are socially conscious is something that's becoming more important for us as consumers. And I at least have a perception that for pet owners, that's particularly important. Would you guys agree with that? And how do you think, um, do you think it's necessary for a company in the pet industry to either have some sort of charitable component or to be more socially conscious, whether it's... Um, Dan, for a food company, thinking about where they're sourcing their ingredients? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important for really any business in any industry today to be aware and responsible and think about the consumer uh, and how they're taking care of the environment because all of us care about those things, and so we make our decisions based on what we read about on social media and otherwise, uh, if they're giving back to help, you know, uh, charities or other uh, really socially important causes that that makes a difference in the business. Does it um, matter more for pet parents, you think, than most consumers? Good question. I haven't really thought about that too much. Uh, maybe. I mean, I think everyone has their own preference, you know, for your clothing versus your pet's clothing. You know, pro probably the same. I think there's this new consumer sentiment where, um, and my sister has this saying, uh, every dollar that you spend is you casting a vote for the world you uh, want to, to, to exist. And I think that that's how people are thinking about spending their dollars now, and they want to align themselves with brands that they can, can be proud of being associated with. And I think the same thing applies within the influencer campaign, and I think there's so much about brand alignment that's important, where uh, pe people think very um, closely, and they're very, um, they scrutinize the, the, the dollars that they spend 
because they want to be able to support the companies uh, for which they have an alignment of values. Yeah, and um, I think that's very true. And, and Fuzzy, I know, uh, I was reading, has partnered in San Francisco to provide pet care to low-income families. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think that's sort of a great initiative and the sort of thing that pet owners love to hear about. Yeah, sure. It's... Um it's slightly counterintuitive, right? We started a company in San Francisco, uh, which is probably one of the most expensive cities uh, to, to live in, if not in the country, then, then in the world. Um, there, and what we realized uh, when we started the company was, sure, there was this core demographic of uh, millennial females that worked at Facebook, Google, Twitter, Uber, et cetera, that could afford veterinary care services. But there's a large part of the population out there that are not fortunate enough to be in that position. Uh, and so one of the things that I'm most proud of is the fact that our veterinarians in any given day can, uh, can go and deliver veterinary care services to in a $50 million household in the morning um, and then deliver veterinary care services in either an SRO or in um, a facilitated living facility in partnership with SF Public Housing or, or with, uh, with organizations that work with um, people that have been displaced from, from their homes. Uh, and so the way that we think about this is there's a way to be able to generate revenue um, from people that can afford to, to spend money uh, and utilize that as a way to be able to subsidize delivering care to a broader swath of people. And that's something that we've um, invested in. It's something that we're really excited about. And actually, to the, the previous conversation point, it's something that a lot of our members are incredibly proud to be associated with too. And that just it pays in dividends. So it's not just a case of, uh, of saying it, but there's... Um, there's a lot to be said about living your mission day to day too. That's fantastic. Lonnie, how do you think um, the sort of charitable and <laughs> component <laughs> factors into animal influencers? Do you see that a lot of them, particularly with um, some accounts dedicated toward rescue animals, are sort of using it as a platform for social awareness? How do you sort of think that plays out in the influencer world? Yeah, I think a great thing about the pet influencers is that many of them have used their platform for good. So you're a perfect example. Sprout has little pins right now, and pretty much all the proceeds for that are going to Animal Rescue. A bunch of our clients have created even second accounts just to showcase pets that need adoption. Um, we're very close with the Animal Legal Defense Fund, which is our keynote yesterday, which is the nonprofit that pushes, to, that pushes for better laws for pets. Um, so that's our personal, um, the dog agency and, and pet con. But many of our clients are using the platform to help for better lives for many pets. And Wolfgang, the example I mentioned earlier, has uh, gotten a lot of his fans to adopt their own senior pets and showcase the rewards of senior adoption. Um, and special needs adoption is another big one for a lot of our clients. So a lot of them have been using the platform for good, which is great. That's great. So Dan and Sabine, I'd love to hear from both of you on this, but do you have any tips for anyone who's thinking about getting started in the pet industry or launching a business in that industry? Probably more for Sabine, because I, I think when you're starting a business, maybe you're a few steps away from being a large <laughs> publicly traded company. <laughs> sure. So I, I talked a little bit about the, uh, the founding story and why we decided to start Fuzzy. Um, and so I think that there are three things that it boils down to for me when you're evaluating a business opportunity or something that you care deeply enough to, to think about starting the business. Um, and Loni, I'm sure you can, you can talk to this too. Um, so in my mind, I think the, the first step is identifying the problem, right? Is this a problem that, that exists? And is this a problem that's big enough? So not on, this, is, this shouldn't only be a problem that applies to you. Does this problem affect other people too? Is it big enough? 
for, uh, for it to positively impact more people by you addressing for it. The second is, um, do you care deeply enough about it? Uh, and the reason why I say that is, starting a business is really hard. Building something from nothing is really hard. Um, I'm not gonna put lipstick on a pig, but it, it's just a real thing. It's really hard to, to start and build a business from nothing. And, um, and if you're going to be successful in building a business from nothing, it's at least five to 10 years. And so know that it's something that you're gonna devote your life's work to, so care deeply enough about it. Um, and then the third part is I, I meet and advise with a number of entrepreneurs on a weekly basis, um, and it, it, it's kind of baffling to me that a lot of them have thought about the initial idea, but haven't necessarily identified whether the financials and the business model make sense. And so the final point is identify what that business model is and really start plotting it out. There's one absolute truth about business models. Um, they're never right. Uh, and so it, it will never play out the way that you put it out in a, in a spreadsheet, but directionally it will give you a sense of whether there's a business there and whether it's something that you will want to invest in and, and commit, uh, commit your time to. Um, and so put, put together that business model and make, make sure that that makes sense. And, uh, and then identify finally if that outcome is something that you're willing to put in the five to ten years to build so that it actually makes sense for you further down the line. I would say if you have all that taken care of and need capital, give us a call. <laughs> Dan, what trends do you think we can expect to see in the pet industry? What's going to be hot in the next few years? Uh, I mean, I think we've touched on a bunch of the things. You know, technology is certainly going to influence uh, a variety of subcategories in the pet ecosystem. You're going to have uh, more human-grade and quality food, toys, products, better for the pet. You're going to have uh, new medications that are going to allow um, your, your dog to, to be healthier throughout different seasons, skin conditions. They're taking human-grade medications now that are, that are approved by the FDA and, and making them work for your cats and your dogs and your horses. Um, so, I mean, there's going to be a ton of interesting ideas and concepts. I think we're going to get to extending the lifespan of pets too and increasing the quality of life. I'm, we're seeing that right now in the healthcare side. I'm sure you're seeing that within VIP. And yeah, I mean, yeah, you talked about the number of pets that don't see a, a vet uh, on an annual basis. That's terrible, but it's changing because there's now easier and more affordable ways to get care. And, and so that will obviously extend the lives and 90 million dogs in the U.S., they're going to live longer and make us all happier. <laughs> And Dan, so I, I definitely agree about things focusing on like human grade ingredients. Do you think, do you see this as being um, new companies who are focusing on that or are more traditional companies who've maybe just had a traditional kibble in the same formula for many years? Are they going to need to adopt to sort of stay relevant in this industry? They yeah, I think, change? I think both. I mean, only less than a decade ago, you had Blue Buffalo. The founders had a you know great experience in running other consumer, in this case, a beverage company, and, and took that experience and, and uh, identified the need for, for better for you foods. Uh, and so if you're in that business today, you have to adapt and shift, and there's going to be a lot of new entrants that have new ideas. Um, we're invested in a, a private company, not in the fund, but elsewhere, um, that, that creates your own customized meal plan with different types of ingredients for your dog or cat and they'll ship it to you every week. So there's always gonna be something new. And Lonnie, what's gonna be new in the influencer world? 
do we see, so I know sometimes with human influencers, we're seeing a divide between macro influencers and micro influencers of a smaller community. Do you think there's something similar happening with pet influencers? I think with pet influencers, it's always good in every campaign to have a mix. So you want those marquee pets that people know promoting your brand, but you also want a lot of content. So having smaller influencers in the mix to create that content definitely helps. I think something else we're seeing in this uh, pet influencer space is an extension beyond social media. So we're having more and more clients come out with books, merchandise, uh, appearing in movies, and just really expanding beyond social media into being um, just more well-known entities beyond just their social posts. We're expanding into the real world with events like this. Exactly. <laughs> we are um, coming to LA in the spring, so everyone mark your calendars. <laughs> hey, hey Lonely, I, I have a question. Do you, do you think about platforms beyond Instagram and Snapchat? Uh, and so thinking about global platforms like WeChat, for instance, and, and how to kind of supercharge influencer campaigns through that? So right now, Ask, asking for a friend in the new client. <laughs> so right now, the majority of the pet influencer space is heavily focused on Instagram, followed by Facebook. So as those followings and other channels start to grow, and there's demand there, we'll expand our client base as well. Thank you all so much for Thank being you. here today. This was really insightful. Thank you, and thanks for coming to PetCon. <laughs> That was the Pet Money, Big Money, the Pet Industry Boom panel from PetCon NYC 2018. To learn more about PetCon and to sign up for our newsletter to find out when the next PetCon will take place, visit PetCon.co. That's P-E-T-C-O-N dot C-O. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Please leave us a five-star review and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you have any pet-related topics you want us to cover, email us at podcast at petinsider.com. I'm Lonnie Edwards, and thank you for listening to the Pet Insider Podcast. Talk soon.